Hi, I'm Miriam Burke. And I'm Eving McBride. And welcome to A Little Birdie Told Me, a podcast brought to you by rollercoaster.ie. Every week, we'll be bringing you insights, advice, and our own personal experiences, along with some great guests to help you, our listeners, navigate the ups and downs of pregnancy and parenting. Back to school can be an exciting time for both kids and parents, but the one thing we don't prepare is bringing home head lice and nits. Head lice can be stubborn little creatures. Lie Clear Original Shampoo not only kills lice and nits, but it is also gentle on hair and skin, is non-insecticide and is up to 100% effective in one go. Lie Clear Original Shampoo is a medical device. Always read the label and product information before use. Playing with your child can have huge emotional and developmental benefits. So in this episode, we chat to psychotherapist and play therapist Hayley Rice about how playing can be used as a form of therapy to overcome everything from the arrival of a new baby in the house to more serious traumas. So Hayley, how does play help development? I suppose we all think we know about play and what it entails, but does it help our children develop both cognitively and emotionally? Um, like everything cognitively emotionally physically you're talking fine gross motor skills absolutely everything play it's down to play in, in childhood and it is the most natural way for children to develop and they're naturally doing it they're playing in the womb we have research on that it's amazing and um, they come out playing and it's reciprocal from the minute they're looking in your eyes and smiling and giggling that's play mm-hmm. Um, so yes play is, is the most important thing it's the most powerful way for children to learn um in terms of developing like if you think of outdoor play physical play you know learning to ride a bike all of that has to happen um, and it helps the brain to integrate so children's brains all of our brains um kind of are built from the bottom up um so the the survival mode kind of and the emotional stuff's all at the bottom and then we get all those executive functions as they build so we're like play is literally brain building stuff and sensory play is a big part of that as well so all the different types of play um contribute to how a child develops overall and grows so yeah when i so <clears throat> when Fionn was a baby mm-hmm. uh he was a covid baby so all of the um classes were you know cancelled and I missed out on like all the sensory things and I feel really guilty about it so like I mean do you think that there was something like I might have been doing that kind of was sensory play without me realizing or you know I think parents can get really head up about it in the very early days Mm. um yeah like if you're not using the black and white cards when they're like in the crib (laughs) and you're like oh my god I've like or like if you forgot to show you know let them touch a load of different textures and things you know Mm. but um I mean what can you do yourself uh like with a baby for that kind of thing yeah, and if you don't go to classes or you know you, they're not you don't have access to them or whatever yeah a really good point there because there was so many people obviously who had babies in COVID and babies who um had their first start where it was just me and mom or just mm. in the house and the mm. same four walls but actually you're right the sensory play is happening all the time anyway think of when you're feeding them and you know they're tasting things and they're um making a mess with their whatever mushy avocado on toast yeah. and the things mm-hmm. they're trying so that's all happening um, and just exploring their world um being on a carpet then going onto a hard floor like it is all happening that all counts it all counts okay, it all good. counts no worries <laughs> and and you know uh, for very young babies and for like even up to two they don't need anybody else other than their parents actually so they don't actually need a whole lot of socializing you are definitely enough so it just put minds at rest on that um okay. yeah 
so we are the center of their world yes yeah. that's all they want <laughs> they want to play with you well Fionn made that really clear this morning when I was dropping them into crash. Oh, <laughs> I know I think that like for me um I have a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old so my one-year-old is essentially a COVID baby but my three-year-old did go to baby sensory classes when she was um very young and uh Theo, my son, so Isabel's my daughter, Theo's my son, he's going now, he's starting a, a, a sensory um, class soon. But again, it had to be on a waiting list to get in because the demand is so high now because I think it's so under-resourced and people have obviously been waiting so long to get these like access to these type of classes. But um, yeah, she did a baby sensory class and it was lovely. It was a really nice thing. But you do kind of think afterwards, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff in it that yeah you would kind of like do at home and it's kind of singing along to nursery rhymes mm. it's like you know bubbles like really simple things that are kind of Taylor's oldest time yeah but um you know they do obviously have um a great like influence or impact huge on the value yeah. huge value and it, it is those simple things like some of the most used toys for me in my playroom or the mo- my, my most loved toys are bubbles, balloons, like feathers, things that cost nothing, like mm, a euro yeah. in the euro shop, slinkies, yeah. things like that, that babies will just be like, wow, what is this? Yeah. Um, Let me ask you about cardboard. this. This is so random, but <laughs> like um, about the balloons thing, because we blew up some balloons for Fionn and he loved them. But I was so terrified that he was going to burst them and like get scared of the noise or I don't know. You can't, he, he couldn't be like hurt by balloon well you could this this is why I'm a total choking folk oh yeah and so balloons terrify me because like rubber balloons you know like the bog standard balloons because I'm like if they bite them and then they inhale them and then they die from choking on them god I never even thought of that so that's my concern about balloons Miriam (laughs) (laughs) that's my balloon phobia get the helium ones because then yeah. they don't actually, they're they're kind of they're kind of hard but to it long is, last. With the with the pop, with the bang, um, like it is part of life for children to experience that. Oh, what was that? And then t- so that's dysregulation. That like, oh, I didn't like that. Or maybe they will cry, and maybe we'll go, mommy, what was that noise? And then they regulate, they co-regulate with you, and they regulate the nervous system again. So that's actually really valuable. Yeah. That's actually so, so like, interesting. I wouldn't, share, so I wouldn't shy away from that because yeah. you're protecting them. You know, protecting them too much for that, he will eventually feel uh, or hear a balloon bang one day yeah so that is such the, it's the epitome of like um over helicopter parenting yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna i don't want, to, I, I don't want to experience a balloon bursting <laughs> um but actually that's i was like on a reddit thread before it was so funny and it was like about toddler tantrums and that's obviously where i was in the depths <laughs> of the toddler tantrum i was on my phone on a reddit thread and it was talking about a balloon bur- or not balloons it was like bubbles bursting it was like the toddler would have a tantrum over them doing <laughs> bubbles and then when the bubbles would burst the ta- toddler would go mental and i found it very comforting because i was like well we're not at that stage yet yeah. um so I think moving on, like I'm so interested in this whole kind of concept of play and, and obviously you're saying play starts in th- within the womb, but how much of play is innate and how much of it is actually a learned skill that we teach our children? Mm, that's a brilliant question. It's, you know, we have research from Jack Panksepp and he found that there was these seven drives of human nature, basically, and one of them is play. So it is innate. And if you look at like videos of cats, dogs playing like uh, elephants play, bears play, it is an animalistic thing. So it is in us. But yes, we can definitely enhance play skills. And some children need that. You know, if you've got neurodiversity or something, maybe play um, isn't doesn't come as easy um, so we can enhance children's play skills and that is an important thing to do so basically giving them opportunity to play 
giving them opportunity to do the sensory, the outdoor, the projective, the role play, all the different types of play, then they're building their play skills. If they're building their play skills, they're building their social skills. They're building their empathy skills. They're building Mm. their negotiation skills. So it's actually a life skill you're building, but it is an innate drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is, is that kind of role modeling really important? Because I'll confess, playing doesn't come naturally to me. And I think as a child, I liked playing with, like obviously maybe as an older child, I liked playing with other children. I wasn't really, and my mum even said I wasn't good at solo play. I quite Mm. liked people playing with me. So I actually find, full confession, I find playing very boring. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're kind of doing the same thing over and over and you're just thinking, oh oh God, yeah. (laughs) And I I know that's terrible to admit, but I do. Sometimes I find it really boring. Mm. But I have seen that um, admission come up so often I think that it is a lot more common than you think you mm, mean hopefully um no seriously but I mean you're the expert can you I mean you probably yeah. see it all the time I see it all the time honestly probably it, if not every second day every day I have a, an email or a call from a parent or something on my Instagram you know oh I, I'm not good at play I can't do it if you're if you're out there listening you're not alone this is so so common mm-hmm. and the thing with it is like I mentioned it is an innate drive and we all hopefully we all had a good play experience as, as children I know some people maybe didn't they were you know had to grow up quicker than mm-hmm. others but most of us will have a history of play where we did enjoy it and we have like fond memories but what happens we grow up we get responsibilities life becomes very serious it becomes a bit constricted we don't we don't have time for play so it gets rusty Mm. so really it's it's like that flexing a muscle again and when when I before I trained as a play therapist and a psychotherapist um I was a junior infant and senior infant teacher and they would have play times in the morning and I would literally be like this is so <laughs> what are they like I have no interest I'm just walking around going that's lovely yeah that's lovely yeah, well yeah. done I had no interest at all and then I went to training um college and on the first day we had to get down on the floor and play I was cringing mm-hmm. I felt so uncomfortable mm. I was like self-conscious about it and let me tell you then as it went on and as I allowed that play to come in, as I started playing in my adult world, mm-hmm. like what is play for me as an adult, which be singing, dancing, watching comedies, mm-hmm. doing my hair, wearing red lipstick, all those kind of playful bits and pieces in my life. I basically kind of reignited my play part of me, Okay, you know, and, and it Aww. is about kind of um, yeah, flexing the muscle and bringing it back to life. And I think what parents need to do is focus on themselves first. So if you're finding it hard to play with your child, you know, take a step back from your child. That's okay. Have compassion for yourself. That's fine. And then see how can you bring play into your into your adult world first, and and then feel that spark again. And then it's going to be easier to play with your child. Yeah, because I find with with because obviously with Theo he's still one. So like a lot of the playing is like blocks and bricks and kind of like doing funny voices when you're playing with little animals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas with Isabel, it's obviously very verbal and we're doing a lot of role plays. And I actually think the role play side of things like is actually kind of fun when you do get into it because you can make up stories and like, you know, their imaginations are wild. So like the stuff they come out with is hilarious and the stuff that they reiterate or kind of verbalize to you that you've potentially said and they relay it back <laughs> to you is like hilarious slash terrifying. Um, but... I've been starting to do stuff with her. It's even trying to kind of give her one-on-one time because I think that's such an other um, big issue for parents with maybe more than one child. And if you're working outside of the home, like having the time when you finish work to give everyone the right amount of attention um, is so difficult. So what I do with her is I do a lot of stuff like one-on-one, like every evening we take off our makeup together, which is like 
you know she doesn't wear makeup but I give her the <laughs> cotton pad and we pretend and then like she's like then I put on like whatever like serum or whatever so she's like oh we'll do our potions but like she loves that one-on-one time mm. and it's like playing you know what I mean Absolutely. it's not like there, she's not she's got a blank cotton pad like I'm not yeah you know she's not she's not wearing the full face makeup <laughs> just yet um so it's stuff like that beneficial where you're Absolutely. or even like you know if you're they're helping you cook or mm-hmm. helping you do like chores around the house like is that play or is that yeah and it's a great starting point I think if you do find play like the literal I'm with the car and I have to pretend to be if that's too hard start then with small baby steps yeah and do things like that that's gorgeous that's a beautiful shared enjoyment moment it's very much you're mirroring each other you're very connected when you're doing your little makeup mm. routine or potions um cooking like having little short bursts so we have good research again on um 30 second bursts of connection and okay. um, so mm-hmm. literally if you're a busy working mum or dad or whatever and you've got a few kids you you don't need a lot of time I think when I say when I suggest play to some parents they think oh no another thing to add to the list mm-hmm. or I have to do an hour of <coughs> lego gosh no it's literally from anything from 30 seconds we have research on we've research on five minute bursts and I like I really am an advocate for 15 minutes as well mm. so anything in there that you can do so that might be like quick little tickles in the kitchen or a little bit of a dance in between while you're chopping the veg um, any sort of reciprocal interaction silly little things um, like you're mentioning that you've just kind of come about in your daily routine yeah. that is play okay. and it is connective and that's the main thing we're getting at really is um, the relationship play, play is all about relationship isn't it and relationship building and staying connected and that's what makes kids feel safe and grounded and and content in themselves and does it help with stuff like sharing you know like because all these like really key um qualities <laughs> that a human should possess mm. you know that you're trying to teach your children can you use play to try and teach them things like you know learning to share and yeah I mean th- like play will naturally I suppose, teach them anyway. They're learning through play, right? No matter what they're doing, even if they're just sitting with their own dollies, they're learning about the world, they're learning about relationships, they're learning about roles. But I I, I mean, if you're a parent and you're trying to play with your child or you want to play with them more, I would be doing less of the teaching because I think what a lot of parents will do is like, oh yeah, I'll play with my child for 10 minutes. How lovely. And they'll say, what colour is the block? Mm-hmm. And how many cars? Oh, so I always that's do that. teaching. I know, I'm very guilty yeah, of that so as that's, well. You're not in a flow state. Play is a very much a flow state and it's uh, freedom and it's like spontaneous and it's joyful and it's fun. If it's if it's not fun, it's not play. So I think with the likes of teaching things, yeah, d- you can definitely do it through play, but maybe don't let it impinge on your lovely play times. You know, you can, I suppose, bring it in in a playful way and just on sharing. Um, you know, most kids won't be able to share, don't have that executive functioning part of their brain until they're about eight. Oh. And we expect oh. two-year-olds. And people okay. will say, well, my two-year-old shares. I'm like, well, do they though? Are they just following your rule? And they're they're not actually choosing to share. So okay. we have massive expectations on sharing. So um, I should be comforted <laughs> by the fact that Isabel cannot share. Because yeah. like, this is the other thing as well. And what you're saying, and obviously like comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. And it's so mm-hmm. difficult when you have friends of children the same age. Sorry, brilliant for play dates. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. You can sit and have a coffee for five minutes and, you know, chat. Um, but it's so difficult. So I even say with a lot of my friends who have kids around the same age as Isabel and then a second, the same age as Theo. So many of them have um, the older one loves the the younger one, whereas we don't have that in our house at all. And like I find that really difficult where I'm trying to be like, share, you know, if you if you take that off him, you have to give him something back. 
Whereas, you know, then people are like, oh, it's so sweet. Like she gave her favorite Teddy mm. to black, you know, and you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is that comparison, isn't it? Yeah. And to watch out for that and kind of, you know, I think as well, if I look through everything through a developmental lens. So, I mean, it's it's like, okay, where's my child developmentally? They might be four, but developmentally, maybe they're three mm. or on some things emotionally or some maybe they're going through things. They haven't actually come up there yet. That's OK. I'll meet them where they are at. Mm. And, you know, right now we're not loving younger brother. That's OK. Or younger sister. You know, that's OK. And really remembering that, that you know, yeah, avoiding the comparisons. Yeah. I, I think. think that is so important because, again, we put so much pressure on ourselves as parents for our like I don't know to force our children to be meeting the developmental milestones when they quote unquote should be when of course like we talk about this so often Mm. every child is is different like every human is different and you are going to you know develop certain parts of your you know brain or body or whatever at different times um, but it's, so, it's really hard to, to keep track of that when, know, when you do see, yeah, yeah, when you do see yeah. other children, it is the comparison thing again. It's yeah. just ridiculous. And it's it's about coming to that acceptance, isn't it? And mm. I think, you know, um, if you read that book, the book you wish your parents had read by Philippa Perry. I keep no. meaning to. Like I keep meaning to. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. It's just so good. It's just so simple and easy to read, but it's just loaded with knowledge and wisdom. Um, which she talks about how, you know, you know, even in the womb, the it's like, oh, have they are they this size? Are they measuring well? Whatever. The minute they're born, it's like, are they sleeping for you? Are they eating for you? And then, mm. then it's like, are they rolling over? Are they sitting up? Are they, like, come on, come on, come on! And it's like we're just the minute the child is born, it's like, are they meeting this need? Are they meeting this developmental milestone? Um, and we need to just put the brakes on and go. You know what? My child is my child. Let me just go alongside them, and we will get there. Yeah. I I actually downloaded an app. Um, when Isabel was a baby called the Wonder Weeks and I deleted it and I've oh, never I gone back too. to it because I was tormented by it. Yeah. Because it was literally like waiting for milestones and there was kind of like a Q&A or like a checklist. It was like, has your baby done this? Has your baby done that? And I was like, oh my God, I don't know. Like mm. it was very stressful. So mm. I was like, I don't need that I, in my life. I had the same thing. It freaked me out. And mm. then I was just like, because some of it was actually really accurate. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa, how mm. do they know? Yeah. <laughs> and then some of it was just like, oh wait, he's not doing that. So yeah, I, I, changed phone and the app just like reset or something so I I just yeah Yeah. left it there and I haven't kind of followed what what he should be doing kind of since I did it every month um until he was one Mm. I was like rigid about it and then it was like no but I think like sometimes as well I really see your child will show you what they are ready for and what they're not ready for and even like you know with physical milestones or as well as developmental emotionally developmental milestones like you can be pushing things and they're just not ready. And then mm-hmm. one day you turn around and they're just doing it. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I say all the time. Children show us how they feel. They show us what, what's going on for them and they show us when they're ready for things. So I think tuning into your child, being guided by them and, and zoning out or tuning out the rest of the world yeah. <laughs> and focusing on them. But it's funny as well, kind of talking about that book, like the the stuff you wish your parents had known or read or whatever it's called. Um, Like that is that I think is really interesting because generationally I think we are of a generation where we are so tuned into like emotional development and what our kids need and whatever else and don't get me wrong like my parents were great parents but like they definitely weren't worried about my emotional development (laughs) when I was a small child (laughs) nor did they really you know push the fact that they were going to play with me like I think there was a lot of times where we were allowed to play with ourselves or by ourselves Mm -hmm. or you know even I suppose as you were a little bit older like in the summer you were 
thrown out of the house and don't come back until it's dinner time. Mm. But you know, I don't know. I mean, in the eighties and nineties, it was like mm. I think common. You know, like mm-hmm. just yeah. entertain yourself or like what was the thing my mum used to always say like something about being bored. You know, you'd be like I'm bored. Yes, yes. Like, only boring people are bored. Oh, that's it. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Boredom is brilliant for the imagination. It's obvious. Often when the best kind of uh, play happens when kids are left to their own devices but I remember that as well going out on the road to yeah. play and being gone all day long and that's one thing I kind of I I you know I kind of worry for some kids around where they're coming home from school and getting on an iPad for hours yeah. and they're missing out they are missing out on that um, outdoor play and mm. there's lots of reasons for that I suppose but I just don't think it exists anymore does mm. it like I don't know if you live in an urban area are you really letting your child out on the road mm. to play and it's so bad in ways because you think like the peer peer-to-peer development is obviously so important as well outside of school hours yeah um, absolutely but I don't know what the resolution for that is well what mm. we've started doing because we live in the city centre and we have no garden and when we collect and we go to the park so at least he's able to run around that space That's which so he does good. and yeah. goes to the swings and the slides and there's other kids there like he bumped into a child from his crash the other day <laughs> And we didn't know that the, until, like, they were acting really familiar with each Aww, other. It was so cute. Sweet. And then we figured out that they, you know, are fresh little friends. Pals, yeah. yeah. Wow. And he, like, it was so cute being seeing them together because we, we'd never seen them interact because of, you know, COVID rules or whatever. And, um, you know, showing him the slide, showing him the swing, being Aww. like, w- wanting to do it together. And I'd never seen him play like that. And it was so nice to see. Back to school can be an exciting time for both kids and parents, but the one thing we don't prepare is bringing home head lice and nits. Head lice can be stubborn little creatures. Lie Clear Original Shampoo not only kills lice and nits, but it is also gentle on hair and skin, is non-insecticide and is up to 100% effective in one go. Lie Clear Original Shampoo is a medical device. Always read the label and product information before use. So I was so reassured when you were when you said um, earlier, like that little bursts of play, you know, kind of forget about the teaching thing and just have these moments. And I'm so glad that you said that because now we know what counts Mm -hmm. and you don't have to have that guilt of not doing enough, but not liking it. So anyway, yeah. um, I feel so reassured. Miriam, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sh- you're having a therapy session. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is actually what we do here. We bring experts in and we just avail of your services <laughs> under the guise of a podcast. Um, so what can play tell us about our child? I suppose that's a really interesting point. You know, when they're role playing or modeling what you're doing, what is what are they trying to t- are, are they trying to tell us something? Um, and if so, what are they trying to tell us? Um Play will tell you absolutely everything about your child. It will really, it's about them. Like children will process and make sense of the world through play. They don't have the language ability or the cognitive ability to come home and be like, you know, I was kind of overwhelmed today and teacher brought up a topic I didn't like. They won't be saying that kind of thing. Mm. Instead, they're like, I want to play. Will you play with me? I'm going out to play, whatever it is. So they will literally be kind of discharging, externalizing their day. Um, through play so even just observing it for people who, who don't feel comfortable playing yet maybe even just sitting with your child being present turning off phones or distractions and observing their play you will see themes children give us themes in their play and that's what I see in my play therapy room um, so it's it's basically like a little snippet of, of their world and I don't think parents need to think too deeply about that or to be looking for clues or trying to figure things out but it is um, 
it is something to remember about how powerful play is what they're doing they are not just playing Mm -hmm. they're really processing and externalizing their experiences making sense of the world especially after school and stuff you know how many parents would say to their child how was school fine what did you do nothing okay grand and off they go playing and if you watched it you'll see what how their day was you'll see how school went um because you'll see that maybe a theme of a lesson happening or a theme of a fight in the yard it'll all be there in their play so cool that is so good (laughs) so so how then does play work with you know um certain anxieties or traumas I know trauma is a a big word and it has many meanings but you know there's certain things like definitely in our house um the arrival of a new baby was quite traumatic for Mm -hmm. the person who thought she was the only baby that would Mm -hmm. ever be in the house so you know and and interestingly a lot of Isabel's play revolves around her dolls being her babies um so that's actually like kind of a little bell has gone off my head there mm-hmm. whereas she's she has no maternal instincts towards her brother but she's <laughs> absolutely like the most caring loving maternal person towards her her dolls or her girls as she calls them and um, yeah and um, so you know like wh- wh- how can we use play to to help children overcome certain things or issues that are going on in their lives well yeah at my job I use play all the time to har- like I harness the power of play and that if there's 20 core p- kind of powers we use uh, in psychotherapy um, and it's about again just giving space for children to allow them have the opportunity to and the environment that's suitable for them to play and then as a therapist then I can use my skills I suppose to bring out the trauma and and to process it and that means then they integrate their experiences so rather than something being like oh this thing happened and it feels horrible now it's they move towards oh yeah that thing happened and it's okay I can mm-hmm. manage that in my body so it's a lot of regulation happens in the play um I think for parents you know like literally for any anything that comes up whether it's new baby whether you're all of a sudden your child's displaying anger or behavior sibling rivalry fights anxiety anything at all the single most beneficial and powerful thing you can do is start to play with your child and have special play times or one-to-one time together and um, that we've already kind of mentioned that it like is literally it um there's a quote and i can't remember who said it now but it's it's that the parent-child relationship is this the most um important and powerful mental health intervention in the world you don't need star charts or to be doing fancy things. It's literally about getting in there and helping your child um, to express themselves because expressing yourself in childhood is really hard when you don't have the words or the understanding. You don't really understand what, what this new baby is. Because the emotional side of their brains <coughs> hasn't developed yet. Isn't that right? The, the lower part, it's developing. Yeah. Okay. So it's building. The building blocks are happening, but they definitely don't know. They don't have that capacity. The upper brain regions, like the, the analytic part and the reasoning bit isn't really there yet. It's mm-hmm. beginning. So it's all that, that new stuff. Mm-hmm. So a new experience is changes, new babies they don't understand it so they need a way how can I understand this so your little girl is using her dollies and she's making sense of this role of a new baby and I actually um years ago when I was teaching there was a little girl in my class and um her mom had had a baby this was in Dubai actually I used to teach over there and um she had mom had been unwell and the baby was unwell as well they were both in hospital for a month in Abu Dhabi so she didn't seen her mom for a month so she was you know a new baby equals I've lost mom like where are they you know so every morning she was coming in and it was playtime in junior infants and she was coming in and she was getting you know 
cushions and stuff and putting them up her bed up her top so she was pretending to be pregnant and then she'd get the others to be the nurses and doctors and they would deliver the baby and sometimes the baby doll would go into the washing machine and be like we hate it go away and sometimes the baby doll was nurtured and wow there's a new baby so she was really processing I have mixed feelings about this baby yes there's a part of me that really loves this idea and there's a part of me that's like get out of my life (laughs) so she was really conflicted but she was expressing a true play and she did that over and over and over again until yes she resolved it herself and she wasn't in therapy she didn't need help with that isn't it yeah yeah and I watched this unfold it was like watching a soap opera every morning (laughs) what's gonna happen today to this baby (laughs) so they will naturally do that if um, they have the opportunity and presumably I mean you mentioned the relationship between um, parents and the child but like that could be any primary caregiver you know because obviously not every child has parents so you mean it'd be their guardian or grandmother or yeah even child minder yeah yeah the significant people in their lives their attachment figures yeah attachment figures Mm -hmm. okay yeah and then like kind of going back to that whole emotional um development side like are some children more emotionally literate than others like if you you know see a child who's struggling with kind of adapting to a new situation whereas another child seems more resilient like is that an emotional literacy or is that just personality well it it depends on the situation I think we're all different right we're all wired differently and even our experiences in the womb can impact how we will regulate or not regulate or dysregulate quicker Mm. um we have different temperaments so temperament does come into it for sure and I know like I was an anxious child hugely anxious and um there's about 13 percent of the population that will err on the side of anxiety okay I'm definitely in that category um and Mally Coyne she talks about that all the time she's in that category too and her book is brilliant and you know there's lots of research on that kind of yeah is it is it just that part of you but I think your life experiences you know if you're if you're a baby who's maybe had a struggling start um maybe there was difficulties or maybe an asthma attack at one years old or um, an operation when you were six months old or something Mm. then your body's going to be a little wired a little bit differently because you would have gone into that baby would have gone into fight or flight and freeze Mm -hmm. so they were dysregulated and having um you know their nervous system tested very early on so then when they hit four or five maybe they're struggling with emotions they need to go back to repair that little piece and it can come back from that early from when they are tiny babies well yeah because it's part of the wiring from from that from day one yeah revelatory so the, yeah I, w- <laughs> I would work with a lot of uh, birth traumas and oh, stuff wow. like that yeah and we would see that where it doesn't seem to add up like why why is this child not able to manage or regulate and and we'll go back and it's like oh okay there was something in the birth Um, And what I do is I have a tent and a tunnel in my room and I have blankets and hot water bottles and lights in the tent and the child will go through the tunnel and it's like they redo their birth. (laughs) That's like out there, doesn't it? I think I need that. Um, That's um, like that is so interesting. Um, And it just brings me to the question as like when when should parents consider bringing their children to play therapy? Like. You know, I mean, obviously you can kind of try and go through, through things yourself um, with the play like you've described. But when do you think you, parents might, might consider it? Yeah, there are any red flags, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, I think, you know, w- the, the story I told there about the little girl in Dubai giving birth every morning, like she was doing <laughs> that on her own. And mm-hmm. she, I didn't initiate that. Her parents didn't have to put her in therapy. And she made sense of that in the way that with the skills she had and she worked through it. Mm-hmm. So her mom 
would have said to me, oh, you know, she's offering the baby. Oh, no, she's fine now. So she moved through it. I think that's a big key thing. If you're finding things are pronounced, so really, really heightened and that they're not moving on. So with maybe you've in you've increased sensory play and outdoor play or maybe you've increased one to one time. You're doing 30 second bursts every day or five minute play every day. And you've done that for six weeks or two months and you're seeing absolutely no change, not even a whisper of it. Well, then maybe, yeah, you need to have a look. But I would like for most parents, I think don't worry and, and don't th- think that you have to. Oh, gosh, we had birth trauma. Oh, no. Does that mean X, Y? No, it doesn't. Your child's working this stuff out themselves and it's naturally happening. Um, so it's not a cause for, for concern, I think, unless it's really pronounced and it's not it's not moving on. Yeah. yeah. But but can play therapy help every child? Like yeah. structured play therapy, like the service you provide? Um, yes, I believe it can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I would work with kids who maybe just, they need some play skill development, like they're autistic or they... Um, they have very mild kind of experiences where their parents like, you know what, just a bit of a confidence building, you know, mm-hmm. and then I've worked with kids who, you know, have been abused and are in direct provision and, have, oh you know, God. all sorts of awful things. So there's a massive spectrum of people that play therapy helps. And I work right up till 18 years old okay. and I do play with the older ones and yeah. we do creative things. We put on music and, you know, sometimes we do just talk, but um, a lot of the time the older kids the older teenagers will want to play too okay mm. so kind of touching you were saying about um autistic children like is play therapy very beneficial in helping diagnose um neurodiversity in children because it's obviously it's it's so talked about now and the, the visibility and attention it's getting is amazing mm-hmm. because like you know when i was a child like autism didn't exist to mm-hmm. me, you know, in, in common kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was obviously children who were neurodiverse who just had to go through mainstream, you know, school and society and whatever and, and struggle. Yeah, yeah, and suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it beneficial in that kind of realm of diagnosis? As far as diagnosis, <clears throat> I would have to say no. I think there's different routes for that, whether it's um, getting in, in touch with your public health nurse or GP, then you're going down the road of uh, assessment of need usually, and then getting into the HSC if you can, um, mm. with waiting <laughs> lists as they are. But you, that's that's the general route. I think that most parents, if they have red flags around, oh, my child isn't really playing or they're doing different type of play, um, maybe their language, that's when they start to flag those things. So usually, where I come in or where play therapy might come in is where a child is already either on a waiting list for a diagnosis and we're pretty sure or a school has said they're not playing you know in this typical manner that we you know we want them to move into peer play or something and then they can come in for play skill development but I don't do any diagnosing okay yeah. um so what kind of uh are your like tips for parents I suppose who are listening in and thinking okay I really want to maybe like give our play an overhaul what are your kind of like starter tips for for kind of maybe transforming the play you're doing with your kids Ooh, that's a great one I think straight away I think think of play um in a new way maybe and give it the respect and the kind of like think of it as like oh I've got this powerful tool in my back pocket that I haven't been using I don't need to rack my brains and read a, a, a lot of books I need to just start somewhere and you know start small and do things that are manageable because it's not about like I said putting yourself under pressure Mm. to like oh I have another thing on my list of things to do and I would definitely start small and then there's a there's a uh, kind of a 
model of play that I love to recommend. It's called TheraPlay and it it um, really focuses on things like touch, eye contact, reciprocal, um, back and forth kind of interactions and it's short bursts, it's snappy and it's and there's a little bit of challenge and a little bit of structure in there. And the reason I love that one is because if you think back to when your baby was born and they're, you're holding a baby and you're they're getting all the touch. They're just constantly with skin, right? They're constantly getting eye contact. They're constantly getting your delighting in them and your face lighting up and your voice and this proximity. And they're also getting this rhythmic thing because if you pick up a baby, it's very hard to stay still. We bop around yeah. <laughs> when we have a buggy, we roll in it back and forth. We're constantly moving. So the, the TheraPlay model, um, those games, um, they really mimic that. So they, they bring all that stuff in. And what it does is it kind of reminds your, your child on a cellular level, this felt sense of, oh, yeah, I remember this closeness. I remember this safety. I remember this relationship. Um, and they feel so cocooned by it. So I find when parents do that, like literally five minutes a day or 15 minutes twice a week or whatever you can do, 30 minutes once a week, um, you see the behavior change. You, you can feel the relationship change and you can really just enhance everything in, in the family. It, it brings a kind of a harmony back, I think. And what can you do when your child doesn't want to play like so Pyun has discovered Sean the sheep or Ba as he calls it and now whenever it's like, a cartoon yeah it's okay. on Netflix and now he just like picks up the remote control whenever he gets so we've only one room basically to play in because our house is tiny um so the tv is in it and he just picks up the remote and it's like Ba and I don't want to put it on. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know that he'll be happy to just sit down and watch it. And I know that he will get up eventually and kind of just want to do something else. But mostly it's um, watch some uh, music on the on Netflix. Like but at least you know West he's, Side in, Story. he's in crash all day. <laughs> so he's not actually sitting in front of a screen during the day. That Yeah, mm. that is definitely reassuring. But like I don't want him to be to just want the TV. I want to play with him. OK, so. And I'm sure there are so many parents out there as well who are kind of, you know, they see the, the benefit of the screen, but also want to, you know, don't want it to be. Yeah, the, the be all and end all. Yeah. yeah. There's a few things with that, I suppose, like the the boundary part. So you're the adult, you get to decide, no, like, oh, you really want uh, ba, but now it's not time for ba. And then it's distract and redirect. So maybe you're going to redirect him to look what I have or wow. So you, you are far more interesting than ba. <laughs> Even if, he, if it doesn't feel like it, sometimes you are. Like the best toy in the world is the parent, you, the person. You know, you're far more interesting. You've got far more to give and he can have far more fun with you. Yeah. So I suppose if you want to put in your boundary and then direct him or have something cool to do with him or start leaping about yeah. <laughs> and get his attention, I'm sure he'd be like okay this is fun okay maybe That's e that sounds easy but I mean another thing is uh the toys you know Fionn has so many toys but I feel like he doesn't you know he do you know what I feel you on this I yeah. feel like we have too many toys and I constantly talk about that I'm going to take some away yeah to just even put them on rotation. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because they forget about them, but out of my own sheer laziness, because on Saturdays and Sundays, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to have to do all this oh, yeah. overhauling of the house. Mm -hmm. um, 
but yeah that is probably a big thing like I feel like can you can they have too many toys yes obviously children can have too many toys but is is from a like development kind of perspective should is less better yeah I think so I think space for um you know change like that rotating toy, toys is great and space for like a bit of nothingness in the room so maybe they'll mm. drag in boxes or they'll you know there's an awful lot of play that can happen without those plastic toys or those toys <clears throat> with batteries in and so if yeah. I don't have any toys that are that kind of um genre in like my doing room the work for them essentially exactly. yeah. yeah so I, I don't think they really serve a purpose mm-hmm. you know and it, and you know children obviously will have like oh I love my cars at the moment or I'm big into Lego that's great you know and and you can put in other things I think having that variety maybe if you do have a playroom or an area in the bedroom where you have like a bit of art available a bit of sensory available even if it's rice in a bowl or a few mm-hmm. little things of lentils mm-hmm. a little bit of that um so you have that kind of the, di- the different um um opportunity to play with different realms or different okay. um things in each in each day and then you can change them out yeah mm-hmm. do you know it's great actually Miriam a ball pit like the little tiny ball pits Ooh. they absolutely love probably them probably wouldn't be able to fit one in no there. you would honestly they're <laughs> tiny because our house is tiny too so like and you what, literally do they just sit in them they just sit in them and they throw them around and they eat the balls and like it's <laughs> like honestly it's like a babysitter mm. okay <laughs> you'll get 20 minutes straight on to smith as soon as this is <laughs> for distracting so distracting is obviously something i do all the time is that actually good like because you know they i like follow a lot of um child psychologists on instagram and like a lot of the information that you get is amazing and it really changes your perspective um and I find it hugely beneficial but you know a lot of it is kind of like uh getting down to your child's level and recognizing and accepting and talking through which is great in, in ways but like can you just sometimes be like oh look at this other shiny thing over here to just sidestep the kind of episode that's happening in front of you um that's a good one I think like for me if if it's distracting away from a feeling well then I would say no not maybe right. maybe not to do that because basically like you know if the with feelings children need to experience them in order to learn about them and the only way is through you know you got to go beginning middle and end so if a child's like you know I really wanted this or whatever and they're having a big moment and then you're like oh look look I'll give you the cookie okay you know forget about that you've got this um then they haven't experienced the full cycle of that feeling they haven't gone from it growing it peaking with a massive meltdown and then being regulated co-regulated and soothed and back down so I'm so guilty of that like hearing you I was like it's you basically were doing an impression of me (laughs) (laughs) but don't be guilty because everyone does it and it's I mean I don't think you can physically do that every single time like anything I've said today it's the ideal and we're Mm. human it's not going to happen every day it's not going to happen every time you know you're, you're aiming there but it's okay if it doesn't. And yeah. it, yes, if you distract a couple of times, fine. But you you kind of know now, oh yeah, I'm going to try as much mm. as possible to let them have the full cycle of the feeling because that's how they actually grow emotional intelligence. Right. And that's how she will move through this stage yeah. of tantruming over the book cookie or whatever quicker. So you're doing yourself a favor in yeah, the long no, term. I, I actually, am, I think I'm guilty of a lot of stunting. <laughs> <laughs> stunting of growth and development. Because uh, even in the car, you know, if there's like a twinge of like, I'm gonna me, me, me. I'll go oh my like I'll basically invent things like I'll be like oh my goodness did you see that squirrel in the tree you know like crazy mm. stuff like I sound like a lunatic and the poor child's like where where and I'm like oh it's gone we just drove by but it's just basically <laughs> just to try and okay. like move past whatever you know yeah. poten- a potential mm. tantrum yeah and I um, suppose like that's 
that's what you have to do maybe in that moment you didn't have the capacity to be like here we go okay yeah you, it takes an incredible amount of patience and if you're oh my tired God, I say this all the time you know like being a parent has given me patience I never oh. had before and I mean, if you're tired or if you, you've got any worries, like things happen in people's lives, like they're dealing with, you know, a sick parent, financial issues, a pain in your knee, like there could be a million <laughs> yeah. different things. And then the child's like, I wanted this. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Look here, have a cookie. Okay. I totally understand that. And it, it, that's, that's going to happen, mm. isn't it? I don't think we should set unrealistic expectations for ourselves, mm-hmm. but um, knowing that, yeah, on the good days, we'll get them through the, the full feeling <laughs> and they can move through it as best so they can. Should it. you let your child just tantrum it out? Basically, yeah. And it's it's not it's not to say, I suppose maybe some people are going, oh, if there's no control there or, you know, don't let them break up the house. It's 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 not to say you let them tantrum it out and off they go going wild. Yeah, it is about having a boundary and you being the firm but fair kind of and loving person that is calm. And is a co-regulator. So children are, when they have an tantrum, they basically they're dysregulated mm-hmm. and they can't self-regulate till they're about eight. Okay. I didn't know that it's when later, I was teaching. Yeah, yeah it's later thought. than we thought because yeah. we're, we're he- children are heading off to crash and heading off to school, crying, whatever, because they can't self-regulate. They need a co-regulator. So until they get to know teacher, she's the co-regulator. Then they're like, oh yeah, I can go in now. So they're always looking for that external body to have that borrow a calm brain mm-hmm. and, and, and help me to get back to well, regulation. That does remind me of Fionn in the early days um, when he was starting crash and like he kind of, like he'd be calling for me um, but then he kind of imprinted like this, what I, how I describe <laughs> it on one of his um, minders and just like would basically sit on her lap all day and like nuzzle into her Aww. and luckily she's still there so and still his minder so that like they have this lovely relationship mm. But I was kind of proud of him. It's yeah. Like, oh, you know, cause yeah, you, clever. You, you kind of you, you solved it for yourself, and like yeah. obviously not not knowing how, but he, yeah, yeah. He, f- he found that that like attachment figure, or mm. that that safe person. He needs yeah. a safe person outside of you, outside of his yeah. home, and that's what they'll do. Yeah. So letting them tantrum it out, it's not a free reign thing, but it is. It's a guided get mm-hmm. guiding the tantrum out. But like, what happens? when you're in a supermarket or well this is the thing like I so like I what you were saying about keeping calm that's the biggest Mm. thing that I've had to learn because for me I'm I'm definitely a reactionary type of person naturally so when like I'm confronted with this like to me completely like ridiculous reaction to something and and I go and it's definitely like all these kind of things that you go through when you're parenting and a lot of them is like it's from your own childhood like this is your own kind of childhood trauma coming out and like if my mum and dad are listening to this now they're like what trauma are you talking about there's no trauma in your childhood but you know like say when like uh, you know I was um a child if I had a tantrum or did something bold and I would get a slap you know Mm -hmm. and like that's the way people parented and like now I kind of go like I don't even slap you and you get everything you want and you are just blah, blah, blah. And like yeah. that's where I go so I have to try and regulate that because that kind of whole thing of keeping calm I find that really difficult oh, and my absolutely. husband's the same because we're exhausted and we're yeah. trying to do it all and then you know our darling child who gets absolutely everything she wants within reason who mm-hmm. gets all our love and attention you know it acts like you know mm-hmm. a bit of a 
I won't say the word. <laughs> and, you know, and you kind of think like, what's your problem? Yeah. And I you love know? that point that you brought up because it is, it is, our patterns will play out all the time. And it's not just in parenting. Like parenting is relationshiping basically with mm. a little person. But it will pe- play out in our like relationships and work, our relationship with a partner, friends. We will have this legacy that we bring in wherever we're people pleaser or we, you know, we expect things or so you're, you're part of you that's showing up like you're becoming aware of that. And you're so you're consciously parenting, you're breaking that pattern you're not going to slap you're going to do something differently like that that's huge work that's going to make you really tired because Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of brain power but it's really admirable and I think that's the key and then you're you're aware that okay I struggle with keeping calm as does like many people listening probably um so I I always love to kind of do a bit of grounding myself and going okay let me reframe this this is a bit of me here I need my deep breath I need to ground down a bit and um, I need to look at this developmentally this isn't about her being spoiled or you know she should be okay because she got this yesterday or yeah. I, you know it's about developmentally my child's learning their feelings great they're right on track absolutely developmentally appropriate here and but that is so hard in the supermarket it's so hard yeah. in the moment because <laughs> you feel mental because you're like I see you I hear you mm-hmm. I know you're having a tough time let's try and help I'll help you get through this together I know you're like you know and you're saying all these words while someone is basically screaming in your face yeah. um, you have these instinctive um reactions as well like e- to even constrain them yes you know? is that pro- is that a good thing like you're not actually cuddling them you're ser- you're just like putting them in a human straitjacket <laughs> well it is about safety too isn't it yeah. and it's not about like okay free for all let's be gentle parent if you're in a, a supermarket a child's running off or they're doing something they're kicking or you have to stop that yeah. so it is about holding your boundary again and um saying things like i'm going to put my arms around you i'm going to keep everyone safe i'm going to keep you safe okay. i'm not for hurting i know this is really hard you really wanted those sweets I'm not for hurting. I'm going to keep my arms here until we calm down. And and remembering as well, like we do have um, mirror neurons. So we've mir- neuro, neuro, mirror neurons, it's hard to say, on the front of your brain. So we naturally mirror each other. So even here as we're chatting, like I'm leaning in to talk to you, leaning in to talk to Avian. Um, we mirror the body language, but we also mirror the emotional state of our caregiver, the people we're most bonded with. So if you are literally saying nothing, you're like, oh my gosh, I just I haven't got the words but I'm just trying to take a deep breath and you take a deep breath your child will feel that they're like literally you're downloading your emotional state onto them so if you can remember that like okay I don't have to think of clever words I'm just going to keep my body my nervous system calm and that will really mirror onto them and help them to calm it works yeah mm. well <laughs> I feel <laughs> I feel like I've had therapy me too thank you so much Heidi <laughs> yeah. um for parents that are listening and want to find out a little bit more where can they find you and the work that you do your your videos on TikTok are brilliant that's how I discovered you oh, so you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah thanks I'm only on TikTok recently but it's great great fun so yeah I'm on TikTok my name's Hayley Rice um and on Instagram as well same Hayley underscore Rice and it's um I have my website and yeah you'll find me there I'm always doing something going live or doing webinars for parents and stuff I do parent coaching all sorts of things okay well listen um it's an amazing resource and I think it's something that's definitely not known about enough and um obviously so beneficial for both parents and children so thank you so much for coming in today thanks Amelia for having me back to school can be an exciting time for both kids and parents but the one thing we don't prepare is bringing home head lice and nits head lice can be stubborn little creatures Lie Clear Original Shampoo not only kills lice and nits, but it is also gentle on hair and skin. 
is non-insecticide and is up to 100% effective in one go. LiClear Original Shampoo is a medical device. Always read the label and product information before use.